Heavenly Father, this is your word, and then you say that give us life, and that in your life we see light. Lord, your word is truth. You said that you would sanctify us by that truth, and so we ask, dear Lord, as we sit before your word this morning, that you will do all that you have sent it forth to do, that you would work in the hearts of your people, and that you would draw all people to yourself, that you would magnify your Son, and in so doing, magnify your own name. Lord, be with us now, we pray. Give us a ten of hearts. Advance us all in Christ's name. All God's people said, Amen. First John 4, verse 13. By this we know that we abide in him, and he in us, that he has given us of his spirit. We have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he in God. And so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is well perfected with us, so we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. Fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and he hates his brother, he is a liar. For he does not, does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. But this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. His commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one believes that Jesus is the Son of God? The word of the Lord. Thanks be May he add his blessing upon him this time. You may be seated. <clears throat> Tell me the special lines, please. They remind me of the different ways that we describe things depending on where we are from. <clears throat> different words for different things. Right? Is it soda or pop or is it coke? Um, some people say things like rassle or marsh or etc. Those are not words. Uh, instead of wrestle or wash or etc. Well, different perspective on events as well in history. Uh, I have an old American history book from 1902, and uh, it came across a chapter entitled The War of Secession. War of Secession. Right. So this is very close to the incident, uh, less than 40 years after the end of that war, uh, very close to the event. And of course, we call this now the Civil War. Right, and so I mean, the South wanted to see or break away from the Union. They wanted to pull out and separate from the South were secessionists. So at the time, they called the Civil War the War of Secession. We don't want to read from uh, what we've seen so far in John's letter, but the background of what's going on had to do with a different kind of secessionists. Right, and the church, they had developed a schism, uh, a split within that community. Uh, and this led John to write to them. He's concerned for them. 
uh, that Pastor John calls the John. Remember, these people had separated themselves from the church. They had pulled out and seceded, and they were setting up their own community, their own pseudo-church. Uh, today we call it a, a cult of sorts. Uh, these people were actively trying to entice their faithful to come out and join them in this new group. Uh, and they've seen so far, and what did they teach? They denied the number of fundamental teachings of the faith. Right? They denied that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God. They denied that he had come in the flesh. They denied his authority. They denied their own sinfulness. And so all of these we can see throughout the letter as John sought to correct and answer them. And he's responding to these errors. And those who study the history of the background of what's going on uh, at this time refer to them as secessions for the same reason they have pulled away, pulled out, separated themselves from the church, denying these basic teachings of the faith. They were upsetting the, the, the believers, luring others to pull out with them. And so John, the pastor John, is pouring out his heart to this congregation, assuring them, we get to give them confidence. We know notice a number of truths as we look at this passage. As John longs to give, again, confidence, assurance to these children in the faith, assurance in Christ, whom they were professing, whom they were trusting in, for their lives, for their peace, for their future. We also can have confidence and assurance as we look at these things. Despite many of the difficult things in our lives and the drama and the sin and the mistreatments that we go through, we can have confidence and assurance in Christ. And how is that? We see a number of things throughout 1 John, but we see in this text that we can do so. We can have confidence be assured in our lives because of abiding in God's prior love for us. And now we've been enabled to love our action and love flowing out from our identity in Christ. Right? So our Binding in love, God's love, or in being enabled right to love, and then our action in love that comes from that. <clears throat> Verse 13, John says this, By this we know that we abide in him in us, because he has given us of his spirit. Uh, and the word abide, right, it's not an uncommon word, but it's not a word that we use really a whole lot. It just means to continue, to remain, to stay with, to dwell with, to lodge with. And so that's what he's talking about. He mentions this reciprocal abiding, right? He and us and me and him. And it's known to us how, and he says, because he has given us his spirit. He's concerned to give them assurance that this is the case. John is. Again, these people were denying these very things, that Jesus was the Christ, that he had come in the flesh, the incarnation. It's the only same to be. Even the necessity of a savior they were denying, right? We've seen this throughout 1 John. In 1 John 2, 22, John says, who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. 1 John 4, 2, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus is the Christ, Jesus Christ has come in the flesh and is from God. In 2 John, verse 7, he says, for many deceivers have gone out into the world those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is a deceiver and the Antichrist. And of course, we read in the first chapter of our book, uh, that we're going through First John, it says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. You see, every point there, he's addressing what they've been denying, these false teachers. And then in, in, in uh, verse 10 of chapter, of chapter 1, 
He says, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Right. We, we deny these things. And so it's helpful to recognize as we look at this, that these denials are not merely isolated to this community in the first century. Right? These are things that we see in every age, even in our age. We've all encountered people that deny these things about Christ, especially around certain times of the year, right? Family gatherings, uh, Christmas time and Easter, um, we hear these kind of things. We're sometimes subjected to the scorn and ridicule from people who deny all of these things. Our culture and its influences bombard its messages that deny these very things, right? The need of the Savior. What's the, what's the common sense in our day? Man is basically good. <clears throat> or as long as I'm mostly good, I'm all good, right? Uh, Jesus wasn't the Christ. Right? Come in the flesh. What's the refrain that we hear? He may have been a good man, but he wasn't actually the promised Messiah. That's just silly. There's a denial in our culture that he certainly wasn't God in flesh, right? God to take on flesh, right? You don't believe that, do you? We're beyond this religious stuff. Everybody knows from science, we're all a product of this mythical, magical thing called evolution. We're reasonable people, right? This is what we hear. We know that life didn't come from God. Life came from non-life, just like magic, right? We're so sophisticated and better than you religious people, you church people, which of course doesn't advance thinking at all. It actually is a regression. It takes them back to the superstitious, illogical, irrational, incoherent thinking of the dark ages, right? The kind of things that were going on in John's day, John's concern to correct for his people who are being spiritually shaken or all these denials, things that we have in common, we see in our culture. And throughout this text, John wants to give them assurance that they are indeed abiding in God and God is in them through the Spirit. He's telling them who they are, right? Their identity. They confess Jesus to the Christ. They have the Spirit. They love one another. These are the things that show the truth that God indeed is living in them. Verse 14, John emphasized one of these points this denied when he says, we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Savior of the world. Where have we heard that before? In John's Gospel, chapter 4, right after Jesus meets this uh, Samaritan uh, Sumeri- uh, one at the well, it's the proclamation that Jesus, remember, is the Savior of the world, right? Not just the Jews only. But the Savior of the world, Samaritans too. Samaritans too. Here in the epistle, 1 John, the emphasis is on that he is the Savior of the world, right? The Savior. The narrative said there's no need for a Savior at all. They said we're enlightened, we're empowered, we're okay by our special knowledge. Jesus certainly didn't come in the flesh and certainly was not a Savior. We have no need for that. John says, no, he is the Savior. The Savior. And again, he's already addressed this in chapter. 1 verse 8 when he says we have say we don't sin we deceive ourselves the truth is not in us that's a denial of the need for a savior he says the truth's not in us if you think that so deny the need of the savior is called a liar right we hear the same today every time we hear it again well i'm basically good i may not be perfect but i certainly don't need savior i need better than other people so you try my best john says no we confess that Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior, come in the flesh. You confess these, you abide in God, and God in you. He's telling them again their identity. They're abiding in God in their union with Christ, their Savior. 
They're abiding in love. John's hearers were having their faith attacked because their Savior was being attacked. Our faith is attacked as well when these kind of things happen. Not only from the outside, but even our own hearts, our own sin-sick souls doubt and be contrary to the profession of our mouths. Our actions and our attitudes betray the reality of who we are. Our enemies lie to us and our flesh lies to us. Certainly the world lies to us. John says of his hearers, and for all of you here this morning, we know that we abide in him because he's given us a spirit. He's given us a spirit. He wants to assure his readers of their identity. And I want us to be sure of our identity as well. Right? As you believe, as you trust, as you have faith in Christ, he is yours and you are his. And there are three things that John gives to indicate their identity. And in verse 13, he says, the presence of the Spirit tells you who you are. Verse 15, the confession of Christ indicates your identity. And then verses 21 into chapter 5, he says, obedience to the commandment to love right, indicates who you are. So is, is the Spirit present and work in your lives? Do you confess Christ? Do you love the brothers? John says to his people, we confess, we need a Savior. One who's that paid the penalty for our sins. We acknowledge this, that we need to love one another. And if it's true of you, then you are his, and this double abiding is a reality for you. This is his message, and it's a message to us as well. In every generation, so this is to assure you of your salvation, right? Your place in Christ, your identity. But how can this be? How can this be? How is it that we can love at all? Right, we all struggle with the failure of our sin and our brokenness. When we're honest with ourselves, we have to admit this, right? We have to naturally think, how can my polluted heart issue any kind of love at all? How can I draw the pure water of love from my, the, 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 the sin-polluted spring of my own heart? That's the question that we ask if we're thinking and, and, and brutally honest with ourselves. But John tells us how in the middle of verse 16. That little well-known phrase we looked at last week extensively, God is love. God is love. So John further identifies for us and assures us of who we are by this. This is how we're able to love. This is how our hearts that have been infected, that are polluted, they've been infected by God's love. Right? And there's this contagious holiness, this contagious love that issues for He is love, and with him abiding in us, love abides in us, and we abide in God. Right? That's the, again, this recursive way that he's discussing this. And verse 19 says clearly, we love because he first loved us. Right? That's how we love, because he first loved us. His love displaces our old nature. It infects our hearts. It transforms us to holiness. Right? So this issue is for our, our empowerment to love, our, our being enabled to love. Right, the truth of who we are, abiding in God's love, enables us to love ourselves, to love from ourselves, right? Because God is love, and God is in us. We are in love and able to love others, right? Before and without God, truly, we cannot love. Because we cannot give what we don't possess, what we've never experienced. Many of us can remember a time before our conversion. When you love, you even sense that it was a strong love, your wife, your husband, or your children. 
and then compare that to true Christian love that you're now capable of, having a new heart that's able to love. Because until you know and taste the love of the Father in Jesus Christ, you have no knowledge or ability to truly even begin to love. The only way or reason for us to love at all is by God first loving us and abiding in us. And this empowers us and enables us to love others. Because many people think uh, about that they get this power to love from themselves, right? Or, or mystically from something else. <clears throat> the truth of the matter is, believing doesn't make something true, right? John's not referring to a self-empowerment or some pseudo-spiritual means. Um, if you've ever had the occasion to have uh, someone leave literature on your doorstep uh, by various cults or other groups, you've seen this very thing. There is a certain thing they're, they're doing, whether it's a cult or, or even secular psychology or, or the power of positive thinking types, right? Positivity, self-improvement, digging deep, they don't get the job done. They're not able to truly save you or bring you forward. Being positive alone doesn't enable you to overcome struggles and troubles. They simply drive man back where? On himself. Right? The man, I think the Bible tells us, is desperately wicked. Man's problem isn't a failure to self-realize his potential, as we're told so often. Saying is sinful. And he needs a savior outside of himself to save him if he's going to be saved. So no matter how you turn to try and try and try and believe that you get this from yourself, or pop psychology, or a golden calf, or a smartphone, or chanting meditations, none of these can give power because they don't have power to do the job. You're able to love because God's love and He has loved you. And this gives you assurance for life. Gives you assurance of who you are in Christ and who God is. And what He enables you to do, you can do because God is love. But how can you love your enemies as we're commanded? How can we love those hostile co workers or family uh, members or friends that we have, or even our brothers, sisters, brothers and sisters in the family of God? How can we care for those in need and give a cup of cool water to the thirsty? It's possible only because he first loved you. Because he dwells in you and he continues to transform you into the image of his son by his spirit. So rejoice and thank him, brothers and sisters, for this matchless love shown to you in Christ. It's overwhelming indeed. And so our abiding love, our identity is loving us making able our loving others. This leads uh, to assurance and action of love, right? The action love. The outworking of all of this is peace and obedience. Bill the one to say, right? Because of this, we have both freedom from the fear of punishment, it says, and the ability to act, right? That is to love the brothers. John explains that this glorious truth results in just that confidence and assurance regarding divine punishments and love for the brothers and the family of God. Right, we say it to verse 17 and 18. Because he is our savior, he will not be our judge. We're free from the fear of punishment. So what's this referring reference to? Fear has to do with punishment. Verse 18, right, see that? Fear has to do with punishment. Jesus, why? Because he has fulfilled punishment for us. So fear no longer remains, right? In Matthew 25, Following the parable of the sheep and the goats, Jesus ends with these words in verse 46. 
Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. It's only the place in the New Testament where we see this word punishment. God will deliver that punishment on the day of judgment. Right? And verse 18 of our text this morning tells us that love drives out this fear of punishment. Fear is the natural consequence of fallen man who does not have a punishment-satisfying Savior to satiate that fear. Right? It's, apart from and outside of Christ, terror is not only justified, but it's the only answer or response, right? Terror and dread. For us to remember, right, from Romans 5, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Right? And this is glorious truth. This, uh, this is especially what, uh, the core of what John's saying here. God's love poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. So apart from Christ, terror and fear, but God's love shown forth in Jesus does what? It gives life to the one who has faith in him, who remains in that and moves them to love God and to love one another. So in Christ, we have peace and assurance regarding this final punishment. Dividing love and able to love, we will love. We will love. And that assurance that God's love is tied directly to our peace of conscience, right? Which spurs us on, empowers us, and affects a life of obedience. It motivates us at the end to live a life of gratitude. John gives the contrast there in verse 20. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. He's a liar. John's making the point here from the lesser to the greater. You see that? The one who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, can love God and he's not seen. He's a liar. And then verse 21 said something that's throughout John's writings, right? Verse 21. What does he say? He says, And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. This is a commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother. His commandment is that we love one another. Right? It's throughout all of John's writings. Listen to these verses from John's gospel that tells a similar thing. Verse 13, uh, sorry, John 13, Verse 34, he says, The new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Chapter 14, verse 15, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Verse 15, chapter 12, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And then verse 17 of chapter 15, These things I command you so that you will love one another. That's repeated throughout, throughout the gospel. Loving God and keeping his commandments do not exist apart from one another. Right? John is assuring these people that who did love their fellow believers that they really did know God. And the claims of those who were denying uh, these essential truths uh, to know God were, were false. They were liars. The claims are not true. And then he goes on in chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. He brings all this together. He says, This is who we are. This is what we do. This is how we know who we are. Right? Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and whoever loves the Father loves children, the children, the child born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. Right? And then verse 3, this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. His commandments are not burdensome. Right? And so it's in, that's the promise of God's words. It's, it's a declaration of truth we must accept. 
and is incomplete and slow in progressing with our meetings, maybe. And for most of us, it is slow. It is slow and incomplete. God is growing us nevertheless. He's transforming you, dear Christian. If you are his, if your faith is in him for your life. And his commandment is not burdensome, it says, or oppressive. It is not heavy or burdensome for the one whose nature has been changed and been given a new heart, who abides in God, who abides in love. Well, we know this elsewhere. How? What does he say? What does Jesus say about his, his yoke, remember, in Matthew? It is easy. It's burning his light. Those people love. Not a sappy, plastic love. Not a pretended love. Not an only when there's something in it for me kind of love. The real love. True love. I pray that you enjoy the blessing of the love, the body of Christ in your lives, and that you thank God and praise God for it. Pray also that you, because you were enabled to, you're loving the brothers as well. When you experience the true and powerful love of God and God's people, uh, it can be overwhelming. It's almost too much to handle at times. Right? Why is that? It's because we reflexively think, why should I be loved by us? Why should you love me? Why should you love you? It's only for his good pleasure. But he said his love upon him. And that should be enough to overwhelm us all. And continue to change us with life's gratitude. He abides in you and you in him. This is who you are. His love is the very source of power that makes your love possible. Tell you can know and be sure of who you are and be enabled to keep his commandment to love one another. And then in verse 4, chapter 5, our text concludes by telling us the only way that this happens. The only way that the world is overcome, the only way that the values and the attitudes opposed to God are overcome, the only way for the, uh, to victory over the worldly tendency to sinful self-satisfaction is to be born of God. Be born of God. All men are you able and free to love and obey in truth and reality. In all of this, John tells us, in verses 4 and 5, through faith. Through faith. Right? Faith has an object. It's not just a thing in, in midair. Faith in Jesus Christ. This one that the deniers were upsetting the church by. Faith in the Messiah. Come in the flesh, the Savior of the world. The one who will judge the world in righteousness. Who's taking the punishment and judgment for those who are his. Well, faith in him. The one who loves and fills with love and enables to love and changes natures to self-sacrificing love and obedience. It's through faith and faith alone that all this happens in Jesus Christ. Here is victory over the deniers. Victory over sinful parts. Victory over guilt and fear and over everything that's against God. Faith in his son. <clears throat> It's here and here alone where victory is found. Your only hope and assurance is faith in Jesus Christ. Assurance from abiding in love leading to living in love made possible by God who is love living in you. Right? This is the glorious proclamation of this text, brothers and sisters. And it is indeed glorious. You should praise him for this. But we may be moved to think as we think of this, we affirm this is true and it's wonderful. Right? We may be thinking, but I don't do this. I don't love like this. I don't love as I should. It's unnatural for me. 
I'm weak and unstable in my love and my profession. I still do fear at times. And if you think this, you're right. This is true of you and it's true of me. We are weak and we fall and we fail and we stumble and we're inconsistent in our lives. In those three F's remain until glory, right? We are feeble, foolish, and forgetful in the weakness of our flesh. And probably the more you understand the magnitude of that's call on your life to be holy, the more you realize your inability and failure to measure up. And it can be crushing. It can be crushing. But take heart, dear Christian. Take heart. Have confidence and be assured. Your who does love as he should, who did fully keep his commandments. And by faith, the one who trusts in him through faith, he gives this to you. He did this for you. He's freed you to walk in love, to be free from the chair of punishment. You were washed, we're told. We were justified, we were sanctified. Brothers and sisters, it has and is sanctifying you. You're not working and laboring to the point where you can't love naturally from your own sin-stained soul. It cannot happen. Rather, remember, your nature has been changed and he is working in you from the inside out to live out of your new nature. United to him who is holy, who does love and who does not fail. The one who carries you and cares for you. The one who assures you that you are this glorious, sin-healing, life-giving love for you is real. will never falter. will never fail you. will never leave you. He is working in you and will complete that work till the end. You're part of his family. By faith in Christ, come in flesh, filled with his love and fearless, truly, for the future. Fearless to walk with the feet of faith and love. Love for him and love for those who belong to him. And even love for those who are enemies of him and enemies of us, free to live out of your identity, your union in Christ. So may we, brothers and sisters, hold in our hearts these truths and live from the reality of his love. Take heart, brothers and sisters. The one in whom assurance and comfort alone is found is yours. Your life is hidden in him. He has loved you first. As you leave this Lord's day, go back into the world, remember what God tells us from this text. Right? Your action and love is made possible by His abiding in you. And this gets you forth in assurance and confidence that He is yours and you are His. So may this indeed impact your actions and your life and your living. And may you glorify God by these actions. And may He be praised by them. May the world see who we are and by what we do. May we look away from ourselves into Him who lives for you. This one who will bring you one day in the very presence of the Father where your true home is in glory for eternity. May He keep you this week in love, brothers and sisters. Always the praise of His glory. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we praise you and thank you you revealed to us in your word Christ's perfection given to us that we are sinners and rebels that you sought us and saved us and our lives are in your hands we thank you that we have died and raised walk newness of life Lord help us to believe the truth of this increase our faith Lord 
Help our unbelief that we would grow. We would submit to your leading and to your movement in our lives. Father, we thank you and praise you that we can come boldly before you. We do ask that you would continue to bless, bless the church, the people of this, uh, your body here in Providence. Father, we pray that you would protect each one of us. Give us comfort in our infirmities. Give us strength by your spirit. Help us to have faith. And those of us who endure many things, physically, relationally, emotionally, Father, we pray that you would help us to remember that you are the God of the resurrection of the dead. That we will one day be made new and one day eradicate all sin and suffering from our lives. She will indeed wipe away every tear. The saints will be gone forever. Father, we pray that by your spirit, we would even rejoice in our sufferings. Lord, it is a mysterious work. And only done impossible through your spirit. Father, we pray for the parents of the congregation that you would that you would give them integrity, Lord, that they would be that they would be bold but tender, especially with their children. Lord, that they would be give them the strength of your spirit to satisfy their callings and the roles you've called them to. That they would be loving, that they would be forgiving, that they would seek Christ, even with one another, even with their children, as their mutual Savior. But we do pray for the children of this congregation, that you would bless them, Lord, that they would indeed, one day come to embrace Jesus for themselves, or they would come forth like the children of Zion, evermore longing to be in the presence of God, living for Christ, Father, protect them, we pray, and we pray for those who are single this morning here as well. We pray that you would give them the desire of their heart as they desire to be satiated in the love of Christ and all they do. Father, we pray that you would strengthen and protect them. Lord, you will you bring others into their lives. But whatever your will, we pray that you would be glorified by all these things. And for all of us, we pray. Help us to be thankful in what you've given us. Help us not to be uh, begrudging that we don't have or have too much that we would uh, forget to be thankful to you. Father, we pray for the missionaries that we support, uh, that, that are sent out in the world, that you would protect them, that you would give them, uh, that you would prosper their works, lives would be saved, and that you would be glorified. We ask that you would continue to be with us this week. Lord, that you would continue to sanctify us. Lord, that we would be sensitive to your will in our lives. That we would long to know you more from your word. And we would walk closely with Jesus, our Savior. We ask this all in his name. Amen.